Today in our message series, as we continue with the Apostle Paul and his mission team, we join Paul in Athens, where he shows us what it looks like to meet people where they are. Hey everyone, welcome to our online message as we are continuing with the Apostle Paul and his mission team through the book of Acts. And today we're going to begin with our reading in Acts chapter 17, starting with verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said, said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. In this message series, as we have been walking with the Apostle Paul and his mission team through the book of Acts, we've seen him come to a number of towns, and, and this was a major city that Paul came to, Athens, Greece. And as we're going to see today in today's lesson, that he was directed to meet people where they are. 
And I'm just going to tell you that I, I want to show you an image on the screen here. And when you take a look at this image on the screen, the question is, how many animals do you see in this image? I'm just going to give you, you know, just a few seconds, take a look at it. How many animals do you see? Now, as I see it, I actually count 10 in this picture. And the fact is, is that that really illustrates for us a very important point that we see things differently. And that's true not only in pictures, but that's true in how we view our lives, that's true in how we view God, that's true in how we, we view each other, that we, we have a worldview that helps us see what we believe and see what truths we believe and so on. And so it's just so important that as we talk about meeting people where they are, that we consider this as our big question for today, and that's this. How can I best meet people where they are with the gospel? Now, in order to answer that question, we're going to take a look at, at some of these verses in Acts chapter 17 and see how the Apostle Paul did it. And first of all, I just want to point out that as you take a look at the map, some of you are probably wondering, well, where exactly is Athens, Greece? And you'll see on the map that it was located right along the coast, about 100 miles south and a little bit east of Berea, where he had just been in the verses just prior to this. And so while he was there waiting for the rest of his mission team to arrive, what did he do? He spent time getting to know the people of the city, getting to know what mattered to them, getting to understand their story, and then he was able to share the gospel with them. And, and so we take a look at verse 16 again, and it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. You know, when I read that verse, I, I just can't help but think that there are things that we notice in our culture that bother us. So, for example, when I see someone on the streets who's homeless, and it's clear to, at least from what I can observe, that that person is addicted to something that is affecting them negatively, that bothers me when I see that. Not to mention when I see um, all the, the human trafficking that is happening within our world, that bothers me too. And it's important to understand that when we see things that bother us, that's a call to action. And so the, the question, however, is how do we want to act? What is our attitude in doing that? And because sometimes as Christians, we can get pretty judgmental, right? I mean, that's one of the big things that, that people have complaints about Christians is that we're judging other people without knowing the facts and that we try to force the truth down their throats without knowing what their story is as well. And so the, the question that we want to ask ourselves as we think about how can I meet people where they are is this. Does my distress over idolatry, so in other words, seeing the sins of our culture, turn into disgust at the sins of others? So in other words, am I disgusted by the idols that other people have? Maybe. But the thing is, is that that was something that bothered Jesus about the religious leaders of his day, right? That the, the Pharisees were so busy pointing out everyone else's idolatry, so busy pointing out everyone else's sins, that they didn't take time to reflect on their own. And not only did that bother Jesus, and that's why he called them out on that, 
But Paul also wants us to notice the idolatry within our culture, but also the idolatry within. That we have no business pointing our finger at everybody else's problems and being bothered more by their sins than we are bothered by our own. And that's why the next part of this question is so important. Or does it turn into a desire to repent of my own idolatry and reach the lost? You see, when I see idols in our world today, it reminds me that I have idols in my own heart too. That there are times that I put myself and what others think of me, maybe my money or my job or my family, that I make these things more important to me than God. And any of those things that become more important to me than God is an idol. And that's why C.S. Lewis um, put it this way when he talked about um, how do we view each other. He said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Isn't that true? That as long as I'm looking down, I can't see anything above me. If I'm so busy looking down on other people and pointing the finger of blame at others, then I can't see God and I can't see his standard of how he wants me to respond to people around me. But notice Paul did. And look at how Paul acted then in verse 17. It continues, So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. What I love about this is that it's clear that Paul went where the people were. He wanted to meet them where they were. And he was able to learn about their culture, understand what was important to them. And I think it's important to see that he reasoned with them in the marketplace. That Greek word for reason means to lay side by side. So in other words, he was like, okay, look at, look at the idols. These are the things that you worship. And now here's Jesus. Look at them side by side. Look at what Jesus has to offer to you. Something that these things can never give you. Jesus gives you peace. Jesus gives you hope. Jesus gives you joy. Jesus gives you a lasting purpose in life. Jesus gives you hope for the future in heaven. Notice which one's better. And that's really what Paul was doing as he reasoned with them. But then it continues. If you look at verse 19, it says, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? So it's interesting that Paul, as he was spending time reasoning with them, that there was this debate, and we're told in the earlier verses here, that there was a debate that Paul was having with their philosophers. And Athens, Greece was well known for its philosophical debates and its desire to understand all these different religions. That's part of the reason why there were so many idols in the city. And as we find out that Athens, I mean, it was a political place where they actually are the ones that came up with democracy. 
But there were two schools of thought and philosophy in Athens at the time, and that's the Epicurean philosophy, which was basically, there is no afterlife, there's no God really that we're fully accountable to. So in other words, eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. That was the Epicurean philosophy. On the other hand, then there was the Stoic philosophers who were like, no, 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 the best way to live is to live responsibly and to live reasonably. Don't be like the Epicureans, instead follow our philosophy. And so they had never heard something like the gospel, the good news that God is the one who came to save you from your sins. And so that's why they brought Paul to the Areopagus. Now, what's interesting about the Areopagus is it used to be the high court of the land in Athens. But now it was really, it wasn't really the court system anymore. But it was the place where they liked to debate all the latest ideas. And that's why they brought him there so that he had this opportunity to present the gospel to them. And then um, notice in verses uh, 26 through 28, what did Paul then say to them? Notice that he said that you worship an unknown God and I'm going to present that God to you. And so in verse 26, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Here's what's really cool about what Paul was trying to do as he wanted to meet them where they were. He had read up on some of their poetry. He understood some of their philosophy. He learned their culture. And he even quoted some of their poets in order to point out this incredible and important truth about the unknown God that they were worshiping. And that is this. He is the creator of everything. That he doesn't have to live in a temple made by humans because he's above everything. And yet, even though he's above everything, he takes interest in you and me and in every single person on the face of this earth. And that's why as we think about how, what's the best way to be able to meet people where they are, here's what we can learn from Paul. How do I meet people where they are? Well, it's called the OILS method. Uh, Phil talks about this in Christian Essentials 4. And the O stands for observe what is happening. And, and that's what Paul did. He observed what was happening in the city. He observed what was happening in people's lives. And he was able to then invite a conversation. Or in this case, actually, they invited him into the Areopagus where he was able to have a conversation then about who the true God is. And then notice that the L in oil stands for listen well. So in other words, before you even get to sharing anything, just listen to what is on the hearts and minds of the people that you are trying to reach with the gospel. Listen to their stories. Listen to their concerns. And then the S is share the difference that Jesus makes. Share the difference. That Jesus isn't just the creator but that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the one who loves people so much that he came to this world to die and then rise again to pay the price for all the idols that we have in our life. And that's why, really, the Bible says that Jesus is like the light of the world. 
it, it, think about the difference that light makes, right? So share the, the difference that Jesus makes. Think about the difference that light makes. If you've ever been walking in a house where it's dark and you're in an unfamiliar hallway, there's a tripping hazard, you turn on the lights and then you can see where you're going. If you've ever driven with a, a car that has a bad alternator and the lights don't work, which that happened to me in college, then understand the difference that headlights make as you're driving down the road. Jesus is like the light. But here's the thing. If you ever travel to the UK and you try to plug, plug in an American um, lamp, it's not going to be able to plug in. You need an adapter. And that's the thing that Jesus, the, the gospel, he's the light. But sometimes we need to adapt to the culture around us like we see Paul here doing in order to be able to share the message of Jesus in a meaningful way. But now what's interesting and what's important here is to take a look at Colossians chapter 4, that, that Paul makes this application then to his fellow Christians in Colossae, and he, he does it in just such a great way. In verses 5 and 6, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, observe, invite, listen, and share. And as you share, be gracious about it. Don't make people feel like they're dumb or don't make people feel like they, they have no idea. Maybe they don't, but the whole point is be gracious about it. Share the good news of what Jesus not only has done for you, but share the good news about what Jesus has done for them. And now here's the thing is that it just, I, I want to just focus for a second again on verse 27. And it says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. The reason why I want to bring back to that verse is the reality that everyone is searching for something. Many in our American culture were searching for happiness. Ask anybody who's in their 20s, and not only are they searching for happiness, but they're searching for significance. And everyone, in a reality, is searching for something to worship because God has made us that way. That whatever is number one in my life, that is in fact what I worship. We are made to worship. And the only way that we're going to find true and lasting happiness, the only way that we're going to find true and lasting significance is by worshiping the one who made us. It's interesting that um, uh, when you think about it, that everyone has a God-sized hole in their heart. And this is our, our next point, that everyone is searching to fill the God-sized hole in our heart. Now, that, that idea of God-sized hole actually came from Blaise Pascal. He was a, a French scientist and philosopher because uh, that was uh, they did a lot of those things back in those days. As, and he was, he was uh, quoted as saying in uh, 1670, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite 
an immutable object, in other words, by God himself. And again, his point is that we all have this yearning, this searching for something. And the Apostle Paul's point is that searching for something is because we were made by someone more. As Blaise Pascal said, the immutable God. And he is the one who then has revealed who he is like and what he has done for us in this book, the Bible. And he's the one that we're accountable to. In verse 29, Paul said, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Now, just in, in closing, I want you to, to just listen to what Paul was presenting to them, that he was pointing them to Jesus. And not everyone's going to listen. In fact, some of them, when he got to the whole point of the resurrection, some of them sneered and walked away. And I don't know about you, but I don't like people sneering at me. I don't. Uh, and, and here's the thing that we need to understand. Not everyone is going to want to hear the truth about Jesus. I, I even have some in my own family. But everyone needs to hear the message of repentance. And that's why these final two uh, points that we want, want to make are so important, not only for our own personal application, but as we're talking to people about Jesus. And so this uh, second to last point is that God's judgment is real. Therefore, repent. Did you hear that there is a day coming that God's going to judge this world? And I don't want to be on the wrong side of Jesus on that day. And I also don't want to have anyone else be on the wrong side of Jesus that day either. It's going to happen. And the proof, as Paul said, is in the resurrection, that just as surely as God raised Jesus from the dead, so also just as surely Jesus is going to come back to judge this world. And on that day, he's going to make all things right. So all the stuff that's been bad that's happened in your life, that's maybe made you question whether or not God cares about you, there will come a day when he will make all things right. And he urges us to repent, to turn away from our idols, to turn away from our sins, and to turn to the only one who can save us that day because he was the one that was judged in our place through his death. And the judgment is, you're declared not guilty in God's courtroom. And the proof is in the resurrection of Jesus. And that's our, our final point then, that Jesus' resurrection is real. And therefore, build the bridge for the gospel to be shared with others. That, that's the big takeaway here as we think about meeting people where they are, is that it requires building a bridge into the lives of people around you. And what you're going to find is that that bridge is so important as you carry the weight of the truth, as you carry the weight of the gospel to people who so desperately need it. It just makes me think, um, over the course of the last few weeks, I have ministered to a family 
whose five-year-old daughter died. I've ministered to a man who is uh, weathering a horrific divorce with his wife of 26 years. I'm ministering to a young woman whose boyfriend left her after he found out that she was pregnant and then in the process, she miscarried. I'm also ministering to young adults who are excited to go on a mission trip. And the thing is, is that whether we're in those really high points of life where things are going great or the really low points of life, here's what Jesus wants you to know. He loves you. His resurrection is proof of that. And he wants you in heaven. And that's the message. Like Paul shared with the people of Areopagus in Athens, that's the message that here we are 2,000 years later that we get to share. So build the bridge because the gospel changes lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this reminder that you are our God, that you not only created us, but that you have redeemed us and that you have saved us from our idolatry and Lord, help us not to be so bothered by the sins of others that we're not bothered by our own sins. And yet at the same time, help us love others enough to be able to build a bridge to them no matter where they are at in life, whether life is great or they are enduring hardship or heartbreak. Help us, Lord, to be able to share you, the one and only true God, the one who conquered sin and conquered death, the one who promises that as we share the gospel, you will change people's hearts and lives and their destiny forever. And so, Lord, be with us as we go out and meet people where they are so that we can share you with them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.